Hi, my name is Alex Keon, and thank you for tuning in to Mentor Moments. I've personally been fortunate to have a great mentor in my life who has literally changed the trajectory of my career. However, I know that not every young person will have that same opportunity or experience. That's why I've created this podcast to give you rare access to executives and leaders who will share insightful advice to help you on your personal and professional growth journeys. This episode was sponsored by JSX, a hop-on jet service offering short-haul flights between Arizona, California, Nevada, Washington, and Texas. JSX has been a longtime sponsor of our nonprofit, and we are so grateful to have their support. To learn more about JSX, please visit jsx.com. So joining us for this episode is Stephen Bohannon, the co-founder and chief strategy and sales officer for Alchemy Technology, an award-winning digital banking software company. Stephen has an extensive financial services background, including roles at Catalyst Consulting, Medivante, ACI Worldwide, and Advanced Financial Solutions. In 2009, he co-founded Alchemy Technology, which he ran from his home, and later an apartment turned office above a Cold Stone Creamery for nine years. Present-day Alchemy has become a flourishing, five-floor, 600-plus employee operation in the heart of Plano, Texas, and now serves upwards of 160 financial institutions and empowers more than 10 million users to make the most of their financial futures. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. So I always like to start these interviews off by giving the listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So what did you want to be when you were growing up? Uh, you know, I don't really remember having something I really wanted to be growing up. I think like a lot of kids, you probably idolize your parents to a certain extent and what they did. My, my father was actually a preacher. And so I don't know that I ever necessarily wanted to be that. But I think one of the things that he did was, you know, kind of motivate and inspire people and challenge them to be better and things like that. So I think uh, as far as those types of things, that's something I find myself doing in my current role and, and definitely identify with that. But I don't know that I had a specific career that I had in mind uh, growing up. Did you ever envision yourself being an entrepreneur? I would say that maybe some of my natural characteristics, uh, you know, I, I tend to challenge the status quo, I challenge conventional wisdom, ask if there's a better way, you know, uh, those types of things. So that's a little bit how my mind works. And so I think from that perspective, I think that that's, those are characteristics that you find in a lot of entrepreneurs. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say that what we've done in alchemy or anything is something where, you know, I pictured this one day and now it's kind of some sort of vision that's come to fruition. I think it's just more of just the natural organic thing, taking advantage of those opportunities as they come your way. And then, uh, you know, just kind of going where life takes you. And I understand that alchemy was started in the middle of an economic downturn. So what lessons did you learn from that experience? Well, you know, it's interesting. You would think that the downturn would have been generally negative. And I would say for a lot of businesses, it was, you know, you look at 2008 to 2011, it was a, it, you know, what they call the great recession. Uh, a lot of the investment capital had dried up. Uh, a lot of companies were going out of business. Uh, there was de definitely a financial crisis. Now, the flip side of that. So if I look at the optimistic side of it, and really what we benefited from was the fact that that was happening. And so the, the, um, the traditional players that, that would ultimately become our competitors or that we would become their competitor, I guess, they had not been investing uh, in the product and in innovation because of this. So what you had seen is that the R&D dollars had kind of dried up. Their products had gone into almost like a uh, mothball type of phase. Uh, several smaller companies that were innovators sold to some of the larger companies. So the innovation kind of dried up there. And so what was really cool is that when we measured you know, what we would have to build in order to be able to replace some of the uh, existing customers in, in, the, in these prospective clients, the bar actually wasn't quite as high. 
it would be much more difficult to do it today. Because today, for instance, if someone said, okay, I want to start a digital banking company and now I need to go out and I need to see where everyone is. And so they can maybe look at Alchemy and say, oh, okay, well, as long as we have two or $300 million, we could build what Alchemy has. <laughs> but then where's Alchemy going to be in the next year, two years, three years, right? Because there's so much investment and capital coming into the space that the people that are in the lead are extending their lead. It would be hard, almost like if someone said, I'm going to come out with a new smartphone and a new operating system that's going to compete with iOS and iPhone or uh, Android and, and, and the various devices of Samsung and Google and so forth. Well, you know, the problem is they're still innovating. They're still investing. So whatever snapshot in time you think that you're going to measure to to want to build, that's going to change radically by the time you even get there. So I think that in periods of downturn, when you see that that people are innovating less is actually maybe a perfect time for someone to come around because everyone else is staying still and you're the only one moving forward. So I think we've actually benefited from it. It actually, you know, in hindsight, it, it was actually great timing. And, and it happened to also be at the inflection point of kind of this move to digital. So I think there were just several things that definitely timing was on our side, regardless of the strength of the idea. It's interesting that you brought up that point about people generally being stagnant until some sort of crisis comes around. I think we've seen a lot of that with the current COVID pandemic. And I'm curious to know what sort of changes have you seen companies make as a result of this pandemic that you think are here to stay? Well, I think obviously one of the big trends you see is that companies are, because they have invested in the kind of remote communication technology and because they've seen that you can get work done, you know, I don't know that the, you know, we've got enough data to say how it affects us all in our connection and our relationships and things like that. But in terms of just sheer productivity, I think what you're going to see is that people feel like that you can get at least the majority of productivity uh, from, from people, even if they're not in the office. So I think that the future of remote work will obviously become much more acceptable and you're gonna see it much more prevalent out there in the market. So I would say that's, that's something that's kind of here to stay. And sticking on this point of innovation and changing, part of your business is being an innovative lead in the market. I'm sure it can be easy to constantly be presented with new opportunities to consider for the product and new directions to go in. I imagine that Alchemy has been guided by very strong goals that ensure that there wasn't you know, scope creep or problems of that nature. And so what was your process for setting the goals that you felt were right for the business? Well, well, first of all, just to give you a sense of kind of how we do goal setting, then I'll just talk about what's what you know, supported. So how we do goal setting, what my recommendation for any entrepreneur would be is one, you have to have your corporate goals. Like this is where, this is ultimately what the company has to accomplish, regardless of kind of the, the, the how and how, what all different departments, sales, and in our case, like engineering and delivery and support and all those kinds of things. So you have to have corporate goals. Then from that, 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 that should trickle down to then, okay, in order to achieve these, what does each business unit need to be able to to do is to, so that we can ensure we do this and then make sure your business unit goals are then aligned to those corporate goals that says, hey, if each of these business units do these things, we will achieve these corporate goals. And then obviously from there, then you go down to individual goals and ensuring that whatever that each that each individual is incentivized to be doing, you know, generally that means their paycheck is tied to it in some way, shape or form, uh, that, that ultimately that will achieve the business unit goal, which in turn will achieve the corporate goal. So that is how we do our goal setting. And we do that generally uh, annually is, you know, annually it's on the calendar to kind of go through. And a lot of companies are, are very similar in that way. A couple of things about those goals though. One, you always want to reserve the right to be wrong about them. So you, you make those goals based upon data that you have at that particular moment. And if the data changes to where you would say, if I had this data, I would have changed that goal, then you should be flexible and be able to change that. You don't get any points for sticking to a bad goal. 
okay? Just to say you achieved it, to say I didn't change my mind. So it's okay to change your mind, especially if new data presents itself. The other thing that's really important to do within your goals, and this is probably where most companies and probably most entrepreneurs you know, kind of go wrong, is they don't understand really the capacity they have. And so they overshoot. And so then what happens is, it's no different than if you've ever seen the old plate spinners, you know, where they spin the plates on top of the sticks and, and, and they can do one or two or three or four, but they eventually get to a point to where there's too many plates. And then eventually what happens, all the plates come crashing down, right? Because you can only keep up with spinning so many of them. So I think that probably the biggest thing is to be honest with yourself about what it is you can accomplish before you set your goals so that you don't have more goals than quite honestly, you have the capacity to accomplish because then that's ups. That's a downer for everyone because everyone feels like a failure when actually maybe in reality, they actually accomplished a lot. It was just that the goals were unrealistic. So I think setting realistic goals based upon known capacity is really, really key. And then as you get the confidence that comes from achieving those goals, then you can go and start to add more. But big mistake I see is people trying to do way too much and they really just shoot themselves in the foot and, and kill their confidence and the confidence of their teams. And then ultimately, then you will see the number of goals continue to come down and down and down. Well, I'm glad you walked through the process of how you break down high-level goals all the way down to the individual level. But switching sides of the table and putting yourself in the shoes of maybe an entry-level employee, what advice would you give for making sure that your individual goals are contributing to the overall direction of the company? I think what's really important first is that you is that at the company should not give a person their individual goals without context. So the, the individual should understand what the corporate goals are, should understand what the business unit goals are, and then their individual so that they understand their place within everything and, and how important they are to achieving the company's overall success. Then they can use their own intelligence to, to determine and maybe even question the goal. And they may say, you know, you, you ultimately want us to accomplish this, but I will just tell you the goal you gave me ultimately won't lead to what it is that you think it's gonna to lead to. That's great. And that's why it's so important to communicate all of that. Oftentimes in companies, I see this where they have a, what I call a need to know basis. You know, it's a very command and control. Hey, look, here's your goals. Don't ask questions, just get it done, right? And you're kind of going, I have no idea what I'm doing and why it's even important. We, and I believe that the, what should be adopted, and especially with this generation, is there a need for them not to know? And if there's a need for them not to know, then you should share everything because we should rely upon the intelligence uh, of our employees to be able to help us because quite honestly, you know, we make mistakes. We don't look at things from every angle. We may have missed something. And so um, I, I think that once you communicate all of that, then the individual em employee can look at those, can ultimately, I think, hopefully agree with them and then understand what it is and why it is that they're doing what they're doing on a daily basis. I appreciate you emphasizing the importance of understanding truly what your company is driving for. I know that Alchemy has had some really tremendous growth in the recent years, and that level of success, I imagine, has to be very fulfilling. But I'm sure there's a lot of new responsibilities and challenges that come with growing as an organization at such rapid pace. So how do you keep yourself from feeling overwhelmed? Um, you don't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the truth of the matter. I mean, the truth of the matter is that every entrepreneur, every founder will at some point feel overwhelmed. And, you know, what you hope is that that's not a feeling that you have all the time. But, but, and the reason is, is because you realize that there are just so many more moving parts and you can't possibly keep up with all of them. So uh, there, there's kind of a couple of things that are obviously very important. One is you have to really decide the, uh, especially like I'm coming to it from the perspective of a founder and who's been here since the beginning, you know, which things no longer need your involvement, you know, that you can truly, you know, hand over and delegate to someone else where 
you may either, maybe initially you just want to check in every now and then, but eventually, you know, you're just assuming it's happening. Uh, so, so the biggest thing is ensuring that you haven't yourself created um, this overwhelming kind of environment because you've got so many things on your plate and can't let it go. So that's first and foremost. But even within the things that let's say you have to be involved in, you really need to be involved in, there could be times where you have this feeling of, of being overwhelmed, that there's more things to do than, than you can ever get to, and that you feel like you're ultimately like letting people down because you're not doing your best work. In those cases, what I find I have to do is I just simply have to ask myself, what is the most important thing? And then generally focus on that. Because if I try to think about and I'm background processing 10 other things that need to happen, that's what leads to the feeling of overwhelmingness. Uh, because I know that I can focus on one thing. I know I have that ability. Uh, and so then when I focus on that one thing and I accomplish that, I, there's a sense of achievement I get. There's a sense of self-confidence I get by knowing that if I focus, I can achieve success. And so then I just get, okay, so what's the next thing on the pile? <laughs> and, and, and basically continue to go through that. And so that, at least for me, is how whenever I do feel overwhelmed, how I get past it is simply by narrowing my focus and then really just taking items off one at a time based on the level of importance to the overall company. Thank you for sharing that advice. And I know one thing you mentioned was knowing what you can give to other people. And I want to stick on that point because I know company culture is something that's so important to you and Alchemy and specifically hiring the right people and keeping the right circle. So applying that to a personal level, how can young people determine who are the right people to keep around them and find those people so that they can grow professionally and find success? So I, I have I have a couple of kids. Well, I guess they're adults now. So I've got a 20 and 21 year old daughter uh, uh, getting ready to be 22 and 21. And so we have these types of discussions with them a lot, or especially me. Uh, so there's an old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And really what, what that's about is saying the people that you surround yourself with, just because of our human nature, you, you ultimately become like them to some degree. So uh, if you want to be successful, for instance, you can't hang around people that are, quote, losers, in a sense. And, and what I mean by that is say you can't go and hang around people who stay up all night and roll out of bed at 10 or 11 o'clock the next day because no successful business owner does that. And so you just say, are, are those are the people that I'm hanging around displaying the characteristics and living their lives in the way that is congruent with successful people? And if not, I don't want to be around them people that are spending all their time on social media as opposed to reading and learning and taking in information about whatever business or industry or product that it is they're wanting to learn about. Uh, people that live paycheck to paycheck and waste lots of their money on frivolous things whenever you know you need to learn how to you know manage uh, uh, an operating uh, budget and you're, you know, need to understand how to manage money for your business and things like that. So you just have to ask yourself, are the people that I'm hanging around representative of ultimately where I want to go? Because that is actually a look into your future because you will not grow beyond where they are. So that's the first thing is surround yourself with people that already are consistent with the types of behaviors, characteristics, and outcomes that you want to see for your own life. Okay. Then, then there's another saying uh, that, that, you know, learned this as a kid. It's an old proverb that says a fool learns from their own mistakes and a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And, and really what this ultimately means is you need to be around people who have already made these mistakes, <laughs> who that you can ask and learn from that can mentor you. And ultimately, when you think about a person's journey, uh, let's just say a person that may be 15, 20 years older than you achieved a certain amount of success. Well, they, that likely wasn't a straight line to success. It's, it's generally maybe they took two or three or four steps forward and then one or two back and then three or four steps forward and one or two back. They can kind of they can tell you about that journey. 
Um, and then that way, instead of you going two or three or four steps forward and two steps back, you can go four steps forward, and maybe zero steps back, right? So you actually create a more efficient and productive and more straight line to your success because you can avoid some of the pitfalls and mistakes they made. So I personally always surrounded myself and attached myself to people who were who were at a place where I could maybe see myself 10 or 15 years from then. And then I asked them lots and lots of questions. Whenever I had decisions that I was making, I would come to them and say, hey, I need your help. I've got this decision. I'm not sure what to do. What do you think? And it was amazing how many times that they would had a similar situation that they had encountered that that, that they had dealt with. So I think you know it, it really is around the people that you surround yourself with, both from a peer's perspective and from a mentor's perspective. That's going to be the number one thing that you need to do to ensure that you're going to have the right culture uh, to be successful. And especially in this time of COVID, you know, when we may not be in the office, what are some ways that young people can find those mentors that they can learn from? You know, I don't think it's probably any different than when we were, I mean, when I say any different, I mean, you know, you had ways that you ran into people or communicated with people before, and maybe you were in the office and maybe you walked by them or whatever. Well, you know, like in our case, hey, they're still available on Slack. You can still email them. You can still ask them for a quick call. So uh, you may not be able to go and grab a coffee with them after work, but you can say, hey, can I put something on your calendar and let's have a virtual coffee hour or happy hour or whatever. And I just, I have a few things I wanted to ask you about. I actually recently had an alchemist that had reached out to me about that and was kind of questioning something about their future and whether or not they should pursue a management path. And they just said, hey, can I get 30 minutes on your calendar? And I just have some things I want to ask you about and some of the pros and cons. And yeah, great. So I definitely don't use the fact that we're not physically together as an excuse not to search out and to find those relationships. Because obviously people are still communicating today just in a very modified means, use those same modified means to accomplish that same objective. And finally, if you could recommend one person, book, or podcast that you think young people could really learn from, who or what would it be and why? One, I would say book. Now, I, I like podcasts as well, uh, but I, I do think that maybe there's science around it. I'm not sure. Probably is that that reading and the time it takes to read and then obviously taking in through multiple senses. I think that reading uh, can have a more memorable impact, I think. Uh, so my recommendation would be book. But there's probably two books I can think of that I would probably recommend. One would be uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a classic book. Uh, and, and the reason I, I, I mentioned that one, that, that one's by Stephen Covey, because it's just, it gives you all the basics. I mean, it really does. And, and, it, and it's kind of really in line with what we were just talking about, right? Surrounding yourself with these people and learning from their mistakes and things like that. So I think The Seven Habits um, are, are a great, like, you know, guide to success 101. It's a great 101 thing. It's a, it's a great book to come back and revisit. And it's just, you know, uh, just a solid foundational book for everyone. So regardless of what you want to do, it's, it won't, it won't just make you a better quote entrepreneur or business person. It'll make you a better person. It'll make you a better husband or wife or, you know, friend or, you know, or father or daughter or whatever. So, so that's a great one. And then the second one I think that that to me is a little different uh, that I really enjoyed was uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. And and the, the reason I like Outliers so much is because I think that sometimes what holds people back from really trying to taking a, a chance on something is that they have this inherent lack of belief in themselves that, that when they, they see these examples of success that are in the market and they they just inherently think, well, that's not me. I'm not like them. There must be something superhuman or special about them that made them different. And so, you know, I just don't have it in my DNA. And so they immediately discount themselves and their ability and they have a lack of self-confidence there. And what I like about outliers is it really outlines that all these people that we often idolize, that it's not because they're really any better than anybody else. They had the benefit of opportunity and timing and they just simply took advantage of it. 
And I think that that's something, whenever you look at that and, and that really sinks in, then what you start doing is instead of comparing yourself to them in all kinds of various ways, uh, whether it's, well, I'm not as good of a speaker as that person, or I'm not as good as at computers as that person, or I'm not as athletically talented or coordinated as that person. It gets you out of that mindset and it starts to set your mind on looking for the, for timing and opportunities, right? And because you realize that's really the key. And so I think it can totally change your mindset and give you the confidence that, that the playing field is actually much more level than, than a lot of times people will want you to believe. And that uh, whenever you understand that, that, that I think that you will be on the lookout for those certain opportunities and take advantage of them and, and can achieve the same type of success. So I think that those, those two books would be ones that I would, uh, as both foundational uh, for, from a discipline and habits perspective and from a mindset perspective, I think those would be two great ones I'd recommend to everybody. That is some powerful advice, and I appreciate the recommendations. And thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today and uh, share your insights with our listeners. I greatly appreciate that as well. Yeah, for sure, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Mentor Moments. And I hope you'll join us on the next episode to continue your growth journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at My Mentor Moments.